Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Oh, what a glorious morning. Welcome back, summer. You can stay as long as you want, old friend. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful, gorgeous, sunny Wednesday morning out there across Cork. And this weather down for at least the rest of this week, across the weekend and into next week. Might get a couple of showers here and there, but nothing worth talking about for at least the next five or six days. And we'll take that any time at the back end of August as we start autumn in September. Yes, it is typical back-to-school weather. So what? So what? And I'm a bit happy this morning in myself. I have to say I feel a bit boosted this morning because I get a sense, I get a real sense that barring disasters, we are going to be out of this mess by the end of the year. Maybe not within six weeks, which is what the Irish Independent is saying this morning. Six weeks to new freedoms. Vaccine certs could be gone by October. Uh, Dr. Hulahan says electric picnic could go ahead. Come back to that. And businesses closed, all remaining closed businesses could be open by Christmas. We're near the beginning of the end. Now, I know on the other side of the argument, Jerry Killeen, who was on here yesterday, is nervous about doing all this. But others are saying, well, look, we, we have to do this. We have to get on with our lives. But the biggest one is Electric Picnic and the Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Houlihan, who, and look, I've been accused of being a slave to Dr. Houlihan, and I'll take that criticism on the chin any day of the week. Uh, the, the man has led us through this pandemic, him and his sidekick, Dr. Glynn, have led us through this pandemic, and I will argue while there's a breath left in my body to do so, they've been right more than they've been wrong. They've been ignored at their peril. But in his latest briefing, Dr. Hulahan was talking about electric picnic and I get from him what what he's saying if if it's a vaccinated event then yeah go ahead and go to it if you're vaccinated if you're not vaccinated these are the things you need to stay away from with such high levels of vaccination uptake that that doesn't necessarily mean that these events couldn't take place but you as an individual who is uh, not vaccinated it, this is really not a place for you to be would be would be would be i think the responsible public health advice that we would give our message would have to be you as an unvaccinated person 
uh, it's really important that you stay away from these, particularly at these high levels of transmission. Um, we have the kind of the, the combination of, of 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 susceptibility for you as an individual and likelihood of running into somebody else with the disease. It's just it's the wrong combination. So you really have to exercise extreme care and caution to protect yourself. So that's what he's saying. If you're not vaccinated, this is not the place for you. Electric picnic could go ahead as a fully vaccinated event. Now you'll know that you'll remember that Leash County Council decided in the last week or two that it wouldn't get its license. All these events, of course, need a license. It refused the license. Uh, their organisers are now asking the county council to review that decision and let the event go ahead. Um, you'll remember Luke O'Neill. Professor Luke O'Neill said here on the opinion line a week or two ago, the last time he was on with me anyway, that yes, it, it, it could and should go ahead as an open-air event with most people, if not all people, vaccinated. So could and should electric picnics still go ahead? Could it be saved at the last minute? We had 41,000 people at Croke Park on Sunday. We'll probably have another 40-odd thousand people at Croke Park on the football final day, which is the 11th of September. We've got semi-finals there this weekend and these events are going to go ahead. Now, they're not asking for vaccination to get into Croke Park. Maybe they should. Perhaps they should. I'd like to know what you think about that at 1850-715-996. But could and should Electric Picnic still be saved? Shane Dunn, concert promoter. Uh, Shane, good morning to you. Hi, Peter. How are you? Good. You you work with Electric Picnic. You booked some of the acts there. You had a some lineup booked provisionally for this, for this uh, year. Is it feasible... That if the licence was granted even now, you could do it? I think we need to know today. You know, definitely in the next 24 hours. Um, it's, it's a huge site, 600 acres. It's you know, 3,000 staff. Um, it's a big, big entity, you know, and needs a lot of time to, to put it together. So, you know, I think if in the next 24 hours a call is made, you know, as an industry, we've been kind of straining it a bit to get back to work. So I don't think anybody's going to turn down four or five weeks of 20 hours a day to, to make a picnic happen. Mm. The county council, you're saying, would have to grant a licence today? I think it would need to be definitely in the next day or two at, at the very latest. You know, it's, it's a very big bill. It's a large number of people. It's a 600-acre site. Um, yeah, you know, time would be needed to put it together. Do you think the promoters would be inclined to go along with what Dr. Hulahan is saying and say, look, for this year anyway, you have to be vaccinated? Yeah, look, I think none of us wanted to be in this position. You know, nobody wants to have to ask somebody, be it in a pub or a restaurant or a music festival, to have to ask somebody to prove, you know, their their vaccine status to, to get in. Um, but also, you know, we have an industry of 30,000 plus people that have been out of work now for 18 months. And really for a lot of them whose, whose work is the summer season, they've been out of work since Electric Picnic 2019. So it's two years now. Um, and if in the short term we have to ask for vaccine starts, for us to get back to work, then I think that's something we'll just have to do. You know, he's already talking about it being gone in six or eight weeks' time. Yeah, that's um, according to the Independent time. this morning. Um, just, just sorry to cut across you, but just to quote, their front page says that they may be phased out, but by October. Yeah, mm. and I think that's that's what we're saying. Look, the, the issue with our industry, I guess, PJ, is that you know a huge amount of people are fully based in the summer season. You know, from April to September. You know, we lost last year. We're about to lose this year again. So, you know, we're quickly running out of daylight um, to actually save some bit of work and to, to get people back to work before we go back into the winter, which will inevitably be questions then about indoors and venues indoors. You know, if we can do 
some shows in September outdoors at a commercially viable level. The picnic would be fantastic. Like I said, it's, it was a kind of a shining light for a lot of our industry, you know, a bit of hope in the distance that it would happen and that people would get back to work because it is a large number of people, but it's also, you know, six weeks on site for some of them. So it's six weeks work. You know, it's not just, you know, three days at the festival itself. Mm. I think a lot of people would, with the best will in the world, Shane, might forget that. This isn't something that you start setting up speakers on a, on, on a Wednesday like no it's certainly not no 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 it's um, this isn't it's, the village hop do you know <laughs> no it's, it's 12 months in, in you know in, in planning it's uh, 6 to 8 weeks on build 4 weeks I think to come out of there um, 72,000 people about 3,000 core staff and another 1,000 um, kind of ancillary staff you know bar staff and that stuff on top of it so there are 4,000 people working there um, for the weekend you know it's it's big business the industry as a whole which um, is about 3.5 billion a year to the economy you know it's not small stuff you know this is a big industry mm. employs a lot of people and outside of that you know every euro spent on a ticket there's another six spent on the wider tourism economy so you look at Dublin City, for instance, at the moment, you know, with the lack of um, business tourism, but also the lack of gigs and concerts and stuff, you know, the city is decimated. You know, Cork has 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 managed because of inter- you know internal tourism, Irish people coming to Cork, but Dublin is destroyed, um, and partly because there's no gigs. Yeah, and we know that Dr. Hulahan and his team, uh, Dr. Glynn and and those around, have been very conservative. Comparatively, you might call them among the more conservative in the EU. But now he is saying, if you're all vaccinated, then this can go ahead. Yeah, look, I think for us, you know, you're, you're dead right. You know, we would be an outlier, you know, in Europe in particular with regards to kind of crowds. Well, that and kind of wasn't what I was saying. I was saying we had a conservative view from the chief medical officer. We did for a long time, but he seems to have changed his, his tune a little bit this yeah. week with regards to vaccination. Look, we'd like to see, or we would have liked to have seen all the tools in the, in the box used, you know, so be that extra PCR testing, antigen testing, all of those things to try and move things along. You know, we had a very cautious view from Nefes all the way through. As I said, we were an outlier on that, mm. but it has now changed, you know, and he's now saying, and I think Stephen Donnelly said on Morning Ireland this morning, that he agrees with him. Um, so, you know, there's all of a sudden there's a, a change in government. I think we've definitely seen over the last three weeks the industry and mm. the artists in particular have, have really come out and, and not at an effort, you know, at government and said, you know, you're the government, you're in charge, start making some decisions that, that help us. Mm. Um, it would be fantastic if the first of those was a reversal of the decision on electric picking. But you would say this being Wednesday, you would need to know Friday at the latest, I guess. I would think we would need boots on the ground at the weekend. All right. Okay, Shane, we'll see where it goes. You never know. Uh, That's Shane Dunn. He he works and books acts with Electric Picnic. Remember again what Dr. Houlihan has said with regard to events like that. With such high levels of vaccination uptake, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that these events couldn't take place. But you as an individual who is uh, not vaccinated. It, this is really not a place for you to be, would be, would be, would be, I think, the responsible public health advice that we would give. Our message would have to be, you as an unvaccinated person, uh, it's really important that you stay away from these, particularly at these high levels of transmission. Um, we have the kind of the, the combination of, 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 of susceptibility for you as an individual and likelihood of running into somebody else with the disease. It's just, it's the wrong combination. So you really have to exercise extreme care and caution to protect yourself. He is effectively saying that for those who are fully vaccinated, then it's time to start maybe getting back to a little more like normal. And if you're not vaccinated, the best place for you is not at these events.
You might disagree with that. Uh, later on the morning, I will be looking again to Greece, which has a population of roughly double hours, or in or around double hours, and has a death rate roughly equivalent to two hours, a uh, bit higher maybe. They've reintroduced some restrictions, but they've also reintroduced some serious benefits for people who are vaccinated. And if you're not vaccinated, they're saying, well, you're not doing any favours for the rest of us. They're taking that attitude. Look at that a bit later on in the morning. 1850-715-996. The sort of traffic, thanks to whoever uh, gave us this, is a hold-up on the Middleton Bypass. Two trucks are, are not able to pass themselves under the bridge just before the turn-off coming from Yall. Uh, so traffic is down to one lane, getting through, but very slowly. <laughs> Hate to be stuck in that waiting for a meeting. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Fully focused, what you mean? Got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League. Powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary, and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live. With now. Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. Cork's 96fm. So do you think that uh, Electric Picnic should go ahead now, given in particular the comments of the Chief Medical Officer who said, look, there's no reason why these events can't go ahead because of the level of vaccination in the community. But if you're not vaccinated, it's not where you should be. So there's a kind of a two-pronged comment from Dr. Tony. He said, there is no reason why these can't go ahead, given the level of vaccination. But if you're not vaccinated, these places are not where you should be. So apply that to Electric Picnic, apply it to the All-Ireland Final, apply it to anything you want for the foreseeable even though they're saying those kind of restrictions even, and I'm quoting from the Independent because that's the one I have in front of me, those restrictions, like having to show your vaccination status for pubs and restaurants and whatever, presumably gigs and stuff like that, theatres, whatever, may be gone by October. Give them even till the jazz weekend. They could be gone. So things are changing. We are in a process, we are in a time of great change. We're being warned, of course, that this thing hasn't peaked yet. But even knowing that, and even with the concern that's there regarding the numbers in hospital, and the concerns that are there with regard to the number in intensive care, and we must bear that in mind, on the balance of things, for those of us who are vaccinated, life can start to resume. That seems to be where we are right now, science-wise, with uh, our chief medical officer. I've been speaking to Pat Curran, Pat is Bantry-based. He is a basketball coach at every level from school to national. And Pat is very upset by the fact that the All-Ireland got to go ahead last Sunday with 40,000 and there'll be another All-Ireland in a couple of weeks' time with 40,000 more. And Pat feels that certain sports, like his one, 
are getting a raw deal. We spoke before we came on air. Pat, you say that government is, and to quote your tweet, pandering to the elite in sport and society and forgetting about grassroots. What does that mean? Well, I suppose the first thing, you look at the examples, PJ, and you look at a situation two Sundays ago where the Irish men's basketball team won the European Championships for Small Nations with not one single supporter allowed in, not even their families, parents, anyone. I mean, we had Adrian O'Sullivan, Kai Hosford and Jordan Blunt here from Cork uh, representing us and, you know, their families weren't even able to go up to watch them. And two weeks later, there's 40,000 crammed into the pubs around Croke Park and into Croke Park. Um, no support was allowed at the National Rowing Championships last Sunday. 500 people allowed into a League of Ireland match. It just seems very... Um, you know, it seems very lopsided the way things, you know, the way things have opened up. Um, we the Irish international underage coaches bringing teams to European basketball championships with only a few weeks of training while their opponents had a full year, you know. Um, we're one of only two European federations out of 47 who cancelled basketball leagues in our country for the whole of last season. Um, you know, I just think that, that indoor sport and school sport really need to come back. Mm-hmm. as soon as possible schools like I'm very concerned about school sport as well being a, being a teacher you know yeah of course we must always be guided by by public health advice and and the scheme I guess as defined by by Neffet was well look we'll allow certain events to take place cert- and and see how that works I suppose and what is more traditional to us than the all ireland series I'm think trying to think now that their way not not quote not standing up for the they probably say, right, well, let's, let's look at the All-Ireland as a, as a classic example of, of a massive Irish sporting event and let's run it as a pilot. Have you any time for that argument? I don't, to be honest, PJ, because like, I'm more concerned with kids and it, you know, there's a big epidemic coming down the road of obesity and, um, and mental health. Like, you know, in, like, in March 2020, tens of thousands of energetic kind of committed and talented teenagers who, who school sport I suppose at every level was a source of enjoyment, structure, ambition it suddenly vanished and you know it was in many cases replaced by multiple hours of screen time and isolation and you know in my opinion there hasn't been a massive effort to get this back up and running mm. and you know sport is one of the main reasons that kids enjoy going to school and you know for that to be suddenly gone you know, it's major. It took the life out of most of Irish schools. The, you know, the buzz was gone. You, you know, the buzz of the build-up to matches. You know, you're you're watching your behaviour during the week because you might you might be brought out to a match on a Thursday or a Friday. You know, it needs to return and needs to to safely return because, you know, at its most basic level, I suppose, sport allows students to burn off energy and get exercise. But you know, in schools, it has a much deeper purpose in the day-to-day running of, of schools, like it creates a, a huge bond between classmates and and not only that, I suppose it, it creates a, a rapport between staff and students, which is, in my opinion, anyway, vital in the successful running of, of a school. And you kind of to answer your question about, what, you know, what do I think about the, the contradictions? Um, we're the last 20 years listening to the government talking, and rightly so, about mental health and obesity. And, you know, if they're serious about it, they need to step up to the mark now and prioritise sport and, 
you know, that's what I'd really like to see. Um, the return of it, grassroots and elite, or not elite sport, the return of grassroots and school sports, because, you know, I don't understand why elite sport gets the priority, you know, while, while kids are suffering. In terms of the children that you work with and the children that you yeah. coach, what differences have you noticed in them, Pat? Well, young people are suffering so much through the COVID restrictions, you know, and they're accepting it so well. They, they've shown unbelievable resilience and understanding of people's needs. You see that yourself when you see the, the pictures of the crowds of kids going for the vaccine. And the government really needs to understand that and reward it. Um, schools, I suppose PJ schools don't simply produce academic results. You know, they, they, they produce members of society and very well-functioning members of society. And with that in mind, I just don't think the value of sport in schools is fully appreciated, and most certainly not by the government and not by the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, or the Minister for Sport, Jack Chambers, who incidentally took three weeks to reply to me as co-chairperson of Bantry Basketball Club and, you know, kind of said it was a cabinet decision and he's advocating for sport um, and indoor sport, but I don't see any evidence of it. We we know that there's a document coming uh, early next week and a, another speech by Hall Martin and yeah. we read in our newspapers this morning that the chief medical officer is saying well we can probably be out of all the restrictions within six weeks D- does that give you any hope? I'm not sure I mean I'm hearing a, a story of a road map and I got a text yesterday from someone saying that the, um, a very good source told him it'll be the other side of Halloween before we get indoor sport back and, you know, going back to kids, like try explaining the contradictions and the restrictions to kids. Yeah. You know, 10 kids can't train in a fully ventilated hall, but can be in a packed classroom, a packed pub even, or even an All-Ireland final. You know, how can you explain those contradictions to kids when, as an adult, you can't really understand it yourself? Yeah. And that just, you know, it kind of tells me that government has zero appreciation of the importance of sport in young people's lives, because if mm. if they did, they'd lift the restrictions when, when it was safe to do so. And I mean, if it's not safe, fair enough. But don't allow something else that's clearly way more dangerous to public health or perceived to be to go ahead because that causes confusion and inevitably causes anger. Um, And like going back to basketball, PJ, if if basketball returns in October, it'll be 18 months between, we'll say, 13-year-olds' last match and their next match. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of development that's a lot of development lost, you know. Um, I'm afraid of the roadmap. I'm afraid they're going to say that, you know, we can't bring kids to, to school sports because we can't bring them on buses. But, you know, explain that to the kid who comes to school in the bus, you know. Um, I, I just think in the roadmap that school sports and PE needs to be put up there on the same level of importance as, as exams. Because, uh, like I said at the very start, no, there's a there's an obesity and, you know, a continuing mental health epidemic on its way. Like we've, and we've lost kids to sport. We, you know, when kids lose routine and fitness, they, they find it harder to get back. It's just baffling the, the lack of urgency from the government, to be honest, like, you know, that they were able to bring some things back that, that were clearly different in most people's opinion. And more, I don't like saying the word dangerous because I don't believe it to be dangerous. But if you're talking about public health, and you're talking about 40,000 people in one place and 10 people in another place, which which is more dangerous, whether there's a roof over it or not. Like For the sports people, adult and youth that you work with, what will they be looking to the government to, to tell them this weekend? 
well, they'd be looking for sport, drama, music, and all the other distractions to, you know, to return in order to restore some fun and exuberance in our young people's lives. Um, you know, all these things are very important in shaping a young person. And they're what, you know, they're what they talk about. You know, whenever I meet a past pupil, no one ever said to me, remember the day you taught us about Igneous Rocks? You know, that was great crack. I never heard that yet. Um, it's the matches, the training sessions, the away days. Um, you know, that's the things they remembered. You know, and while Igneous Rocks are important, no one ever died from their lack of knowledge in the subject, but their lack of exercise and fun. Is, is detrimental has a detrimental effect on people's health and mental well-being. So I'm just hoping, PJ, that the roadmap is positive this time. And I take it that you say that with due recognition and due cognizance of the public health matter. Absolutely. And, you know, PJ, in my own opinion, it's people that are refusing to get vaccinated are holding everything up. Well, thankfully, you know? that's a small cohort, but it's there. Yeah, it is there. And, you know, people need to get the message... You know, it's there's people, there's young people dying in hospitals around the country. A very sad story there about a woman up in up the north that, that died. No, she didn't get a vaccine because she was pregnant. She wasn't anti-vax or anything like that. But I mean, that's the reality of it. Hmm. Young people are getting really sick, and you know, some people think they're invincible. Um, that lady was 35, and hmm. it's just it's a horrible story. And the more people that get vaccinated, the better. Hmm. Are you concerned by anti-vax messages? Because they are Absolutely. out there. Yeah, I mean, I know plenty of people who would I who I would have considered very normal, educated people, you know, falling into rabbit holes of, you know, the deep dark web and seeing these what I would call crazies giving out these messages. There was a you know there was a big story last week about that poor young fellow who died and the anti-vaxxers jumped in it straight away and they used his death and his funeral to push their agenda when, you know, it seems it had nothing at all to do with it. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of... And now we have on another radio programme. Yesterday I listened to a, a distraught family begging the anti-vaxxers to leave them alone and leave their beloved sister's death alone. That's very distressing. It's awful. It's awful. I mean, um, you know, there's... There's nothing really can, you know justify any of that rubbish talk that people go on with, you know, people saying that they, they don't know what's inside in the, they don't know what's inside in the vaccine, but they're able to, they're able to make, to do a post-mortem straight away in someone's death, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's awful. Yeah. It's, it's a, a distraction from our conversation, Pat, but I think it's an important point yeah. to make. Thank you for being with us this morning. And, and when you do get back coaching, I hope everything goes flying for you and your teams. Thanks very much, PJ. A lot to ponder in that conversation which I had with uh, Pat earlier this morning before we came on air. Uh, we know how he feels about sport and the return of sport. But what he says about the anti-vaxxer campaigns, and I wouldn't give them the, the oxygen of naming them, although some people have named them uh, on the basis of calling them out. And I suppose there is some merit in that. But the videos that you will have seen and the messages that you will have seen portrayed around social media in the last few weeks have now led uh, on another radio program, national radio program to a family begging these people, begging them on air as they still mourn their beautiful sister begging them, leave us 
alone. Stop using us to promote your nonsense. <sighs> Did we ever think we'd come to that? 1857 On the reasons why our infection rate is so high at the moment, like you've got a bit of confusion going on, which I can understand. You've, you've people saying, well, we've 2,000 or 1,500 or 1,600 nod cases a day now. We've over 300 in hospital and we've 60 plus in intensive care. That's worrying for the hospitals. It's not urgent yet, but it's worrying for the hospitals. Yet we've got enormous vaccination rates. Our vaccination rates are really high. And by the end of September, they will be among the highest in all of the EU. So why do we have that going on? That kind of, to use a posh word, dichotomy going on. Why do we have the infection rates, the daily infection rates going up or very high and the hospitals going up slowly, ICU going up slowly? Why do we have that on the one hand and on the other side, we've got such a high level of vaccination and the chief medical officer saying that maybe those of us who are fully vaccinated can start to do things again. Philip Nolan Professor Nolan is the man from Maynooth College, a mathematician by trade, but the mathematics of epidemiology is what he's been doing for us right throughout the the pandemic. He was asked about that at their latest briefing. Why the two statistics, shall we say, don't add up? I'll let you hear what he said next. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Want to win big in the afternoon? Oh, Thanks a million, Simon. <laughs> Join me. I'm always good for a giveaway. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much. Giving you all your favourite tunes right across the day. And sure, we'll have you on the air for a bit of a chat as well. I've had it's... kind of one eye on it. I, like, I've been half what herself oh, is. Come on, admit it. it. You're watching everything. Uh, Simon, come I, on. The soccer or Love Island on TV last night for you? Oh, soccer, definitely, 100%. You spoofed me. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, no. Thanks very much. Loving the show. Thank you. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With McCarthy's House and Home at Douglas Court and Ballancolic Shopping Centres. All of great deals on all your interior decor. On Cork's 96 FM. Got an email, actually, I had quite a lengthy call yesterday from someone who, who didn't want to come on the air, but put a few questions uh, to Fergal, which he wrote up for me. Um, they're all questions that are out there. They're all questions that may or may not have an obvious answer. They're all questions that you get accused of not asking. Uh, There's this notion out there that the media are not willing to ask questions, which is, of course, horse manure, but but that's okay. Um, This message came in to us yesterday with a couple of questions. Uh, I find it annoying... This was in the wake of my conversation with Jerry Colleen, by the way, who I appreciate Jerry is probably sitting at home in Bandon now with his head in his hands going, oh, no, oh, no. But look, we had Jerry on one day. We have other people on today. That's how the program works. It's called the opinion line. People's opinions differ. Professionals differ, for example. 
But this caller says, I find it annoying that interviewers never ask questions like this of people like the professor. These are genuine questions and maybe I'd be happy with the answers. One, how many healthy children have died from COVID? Uh, There are deaths around the world being investigated. A medical professional in the North has expressed very strong reservations with the current policy. Her name is Dr. McCluskey. Why are her points never put to contributors? Well, I can answer that one. She issued a nine-minute video in the last few days. She's now been suspended by the medical authorities in the North of Ireland. She said they're very concerned by the things that she was saying. She said, for example, wearing masks is like using a sheep fence to keep out mosquitoes. Well, she's now been suspended for the content of that video. At this time last year, we were all able to eat in restaurants, etc., and the numbers were lower. I know the Delta variant has changed the game, but given that exposure to COVID is not guaranteed to infect, can someone explain the dynamics of why we have so much infection? We're about to do that with Professor Nolan, by the way. Uh, Exposure to COVID-19 is not guaranteed infection. Exposure to Delta is four times more likely than previous variants, but that may answer that question. Why has the UK a similar level of infection to Republic of Ireland, despite much more relaxed rules? A bit higher, granted, but there's no comparison in terms of exposure. Well, a couple of things there. The North, our nearest neighbours, they're giant onto us. They have now got one of the highest infection levels in the whole Northern Hemisphere. They've got serious problems up there again. But, and, and despite the, the vaccination levels, and their uptake among vaccination, of, of vaccination among young people is, is nothing like ours. Maybe that answers one or two of the questions that that caller was asking. But the one he asked in particular, or she, I don't know whether it was a he or she, uh, who said it's, it's like either the professors aren't explaining properly or they don't have the answers. Well, that particular difference was asked of Professor Nolan yesterday. Here's what he said. Like the age structure of our population is is particular in Europe. We There's only one country with a younger population, and that's Cyprus. So the, like the median age in Italy is 47, Germany, Portugal, 46, Ireland, 38. That population is highly internationally mobile and globally mobile. So it's, I think it's somewhere between 14 and 17% of our workforce wasn't born in this country, and most of them young. Uh, and they're not just EU workers. So there's a, a very significant uh, uh, level of international travel, which has been mitigated to some extent. And then also our geography is, is where, where our population density is actually high. You wouldn't think that, but it is, um, and pretty uniformly distributed. So there's no natural fire breaks on the island. So in, in simple terms, if there's a huge outbreak in Paris, nothing, maybe sometime before anything happens in Bordeaux, uh, but if there's a very significant introduction in the border counties or, or Dublin, it's not long before that's spread countrywide. That's the explanation from Professor Philip Nolan of why the numbers are uncomfortably high at the moment from day to day. And the vaccination level is also so high in the country. And they're saying, I think what I'm hearing from what they're saying is give this another few weeks and it'll start to level out. And we hope they're right. We hope they're right. I'll come back to this. 1850-715-996. Rose, you're looking for help for someone. Uh, it's an Afghan refugee, is it correct? Good morning. Yeah. Uh, hi, good morning, PJ. 
Yes, he's a, a young boy, he's 18. Um, he stays in direct provision and um, he never had an education while he was brought up in um, Afghanistan. He, he worked on the farm ever mm-hmm. since he could walk and so never really learned anything. And he arrived here as an unaccompanied minor um, a few months ago and stayed with the foster family. Sure. But then once they are 18, uh, people have to go in direct provision, which is a bit, a bit of a shock to him. But anyway, um, he is very, very eager to learn. Clearly had a really great foster family and they've helped him with English classes. He didn't speak a word when he arrived. He's now quite good at English. Good, good, good. So, yeah, we, we would like to help him to with tuition. You see, I, I did call the Life Center, the Cork Life Center, because they have a bit of an alternative way of yeah. um, teaching people. But they are so, because they've been on the telly, I think, they are completely, completely fully... Oh, they're completely so. rammed. I was only talking to them yeah, the last few days. Yeah. They're they're completely rammed, and they're rammed Absolutely. for next year. You know, even though they, they help everybody that they possibly can, but they're just rammed. Yeah, yeah, they they just don't have the time right now. And we've worked with them before. I know they would be very willing normally, you know. So we are just looking for people who could help with some tuition. So um, What does he need, Rose? Well, we we, we spoke to... We, we have someone who wants to come and help him with history. We have someone for maths, but only a few months. And someone who wants to teach geography. So some teachers who are willing to give a bit of time to help him... Uh, you know, learn because that's what he wants. And he is wants it is his English now at a point where he can communicate with a tutor like that? Yeah, yeah, he oh, can. Now he make mistakes, and but he's writing. He showed me his writing is constantly working. You know, good, every good, day good. He, he has English classes still. Yeah. Mm. Now, yeah. I know you help people all the time, Rose. But I guess helping mm. a young Afghan lad at this particular time, he must be very worried about the people back home. Well, he's completely traumatized already. Um, is he doesn't really want to talk about it. I did mention it once, but he started crying straight away, so I just avoided it, you know? Yeah. Um, but what do you know, know about his family? Does he have family back there? He doesn't know whether they're alive or not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's a very, very tough situation. And um, other Africans have, have been speaking to, they're all very scared. Yes, know? yes. I know yeah, that, look, worried. because of the Americans, there's a very mm-hmm. good communications network in the big cities. Um, yeah. They've all got mm-hmm. things like WhatsApp and FaceTime and all these things in the big cities. Yeah. And a lot of people can contact their family. I've been speaking to some of them. But if you come from, you say he comes from a farming area, such yeah, might not be the area. case. Yeah. Mm, yeah, no way. There's no way he can contact them. And they might not even be there anymore, you know. Yes. And um, he made the long trip on a boat and on foot and he no. t- walks for thousands of miles. Poor lad must you know, be terrified. Clearly, yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a lovely, lovely, sweet boy, but very traumatized. Yeah. Of course, of course. Well, if anybody can help with a little bit of tuition in those kind of subjects, yeah. say history or whatever, they can contact you or they can contact us and we'll put them in touch with you. That would be perfect, yeah. That would be great. Thank you so much, PJ. Thank Thank you you. so much. Take care. Bye-bye. 18, continue the fine work you do. 1850-715-996. Young Afghan lad came here as an unaccompanied minor. Now he's 18. He's living in direct provision. He has been learning English. And get that, in a year or so, his English is now so good that he can communicate at at a decent level with a tutor. He now needs some tutors to learn. He got no education. He's working on a farm since he was a little boy. He's terrified because he can't contact his family back home right now. He doesn't even know if they're dead or alive or where they are. Uh, is any tutor willing to give him a couple of hours here and there 
Um, contact us and we'll put you in touch. And yesterday morning when I was speaking to Professor Jerry Killeen, he was concerned that the schools might not be ready uh, for reopening. And look, they're going to reopen anyway, whether Jerry's concerned or not. But he was saying, coming from his very experienced place, he's worried about how concerned or how prepared the schools might be. Uh, Close to Eamon Reish in Deer Park reopened yesterday or started this phased reopening that the schools do yesterday. Uh, my principal is Aaron Wolf. Hi, Aaron. Hi, PJ. How are you doing? Good. I, I really wanted to go off your bouncy castle, but that's that's another thing. Um, <laughs> you can call up, call up PJ anytime you want. This thing, everyone, it's what is it? One class at a time for the next few days. But but how prepared are you? Oh, I think we've, schools are in a very good position now. You know, we've done. I mean, you got to keep in mind this is the fourth reopening in two years. So I think you know we are well used now to reopening the building uh, and getting students back. So I think most schools be going for that staggered approach. Um, we had our first years in yesterday. They'd be the main concern now our first years mm. because they're they, they're coming back. You know that move from primary to secondary is such a difficult time anyway. Yes. So um, they're the really ones that need to be looked after. But yeah, we have six years coming in today. But we're in a very good position. I mean, we're back to maths, all right. It's not ideal, but maths are here. Um, social distancing is still in schools. You know, we we are running out of spaces in our classrooms obviously in, in every school but um, yeah no hand sanitizers are here we have the, the facilities in place if that all makes sense did you get no, the carbon dioxide monitors yet? No, they haven't arrived yet. They haven't arrived yet. I think that's um, what so Jerry was on about. The, 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 the fact that they've not arrived is a bit of a... It is. Now, in the Department of Education's defence, like, it is a huge body, and they have given tremendous funding to schools. I mean, there's not a principal in the country that wouldn't agree that the funding we've got from the department has been incredible for extra cleaning, extra supervision. Uh, so we, we do all that. But, yeah, look, to have the CO2... But, look, what's the CO2 monitor going to do at the end of the day? Um, it's not going to stop COVID. So I'm not too worried. Like, my windows are staying open mm-hmm. Um when the monitors come up, the caretaker will put them up. But I'm not overly worried about that, you know. Now, Well, I mean, you can, uh, you can keep your windows open in, in beautiful weather like this, and hopefully September can be kind weather-wise, we know that. But, but in six weeks' time, we're going to be into the start of this, the late autumn and start of winter. You're going to need, you're going to have windows closed a lot more. Well, absolutely. I mean, we didn't close our windows. And when we closed in January and February last year, it was it was a relief to us because our major worry was, how are we going to sit in those classrooms that are so called? So we went as far. I sent you one, actually, do you remember? We went as far as buying woolly hats. I saw them. Um, I still have it. Uh, <laughs> so we were going to put the students in woolly hats because it was so cold. So it was a God blessing. It was a blessing in disguise that we were closed in January because we wouldn't have been able to. But even if, okay, we have the CO2 monitors, we're not going to close our windows because it's still too dangerous. Like, CO2 monitors not going to filter the air mm. um, yeah. we're going to the windows will have to stay open and I mean our main thing here we have to keep the children safe and we have to keep our staff safe um, so like the windows will have to stay open mm. uh, and it is freezing <laughs> I know how do you feel about the whole vaccination situation Aaron not so much with the pupils you know they will and won't but you're not allowed to know whether your teachers are vaccinated. Are you okay with that? Um, I, I, well, look, I'm not allowed to know. And as an employer, I don't even get a kind of opinion on it. So um, we just live with the fact that I don't need to know. I, I'm not allowed to ask. And so we don't ask. We don't discuss it. We don't discuss vaccinations. Mm. But personally, um, would you rather know? Um, if you well, had the choice, that, would you rather know? Well, you see, there's the difficulty between the personal and the principal. You know, you, you do keep the two roles totally separate. So... 
But you know, I, t- I try not to think about it because it's just, that's your personal mm-hmm. and the, my, the personal Aaron Wolf is very different from the principal Aaron yeah. Wolf. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, Watch Twitter, uh, you'll it, know that. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, yeah, exactly. It doesn't come into it for me, so like, I, okay. I, I, I don't give it to okay. And we don't discuss okay. it on staff. Okay. Yeah. okay, and in general, the optimism is there for the new, the new term. Oh, there is. I mean, we had a fantastic, we had one of the best school days ever yesterday because we had our first year start and there was 140 of them started. And we started with the entrance exam because they, um, they'd missed an entrance exam. And the entrance exam is important because it helps you put the child in the correct learning environment. So we felt we, we needed these results. You know, it's a CAT4 exam, it's called. And we needed them. So they came in yesterday and they sat that at 10 o'clock, and half 10 in the morning. And then at one o'clock they had a big barbecue. And then after the barbecue, they went out onto the pitch and they had a fun day. And it was all social distancing. We had bubbles. But it was great to see yeah. young people back enjoying themselves. And the teachers and the SNAs, and I want to say, you know, and I say that every time I'm on, because teachers, teachers do get a hard time in the press. But SNAs as well, you know, they go above and beyond. And they're a fantastic group of people, mm-hmm. a fantastic resource in a school. And the teachers in the SNAs here worked so hard yesterday. And, I mean, you should have seen the smiling faces. Ah, yeah. It was on the 6-1 News, and it was fantastic. Yeah. I, can, I, can so, hear the, I can hear the joy in your own voice, Aaron, and, and, and that's great to hear. I'm going to leave it because, for no reason other than time, good to see people getting back to school and great to see the enthusiasm and optimism. Uh, Aaron Wolf, Principal of Cloche de Eamon Rich in Deer Park. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. There's an interesting message has just come in in relation to young people. And it will tie in... Nicely, well, nicely is probably not the right word. Wait till you hear the message with the uh, the next topic of conversation. So, so I'll read it there in just a moment. But in terms of events being open purely for vaccinated people, Anne is in London. Hi, Anne. Says it's working fine in London. Full houses, concert halls, fully vaccinated people only. All checked at the entrance. It beggars belief to think Michal Martin thinks it's okay to mix in Croke Park vaccinated and unvaccinated. Surely there's enough vaccinated people to keep them get the tickets or indeed antigen tests, make antigen tests available. Are they free in Ireland? Are they what? And are they free in Ireland? Like, does it rain? Do, do, does it, do we ever get like a year without rain in Ireland? No, they're not free. In fact, they're quite costly here compared to other parts of the world. People are responsible and use them in the UK and they are free. There's no logic in Ireland. How could one sit next to an unvaccinated person in Croke Park? Strange combination. Well, Anne, here we are now, like, you're not even allowed to know. You're not even allowed to know in Ireland. That's the bit that I think bothers, that bothers a lot of people, I think. Particularly given that flipping Delta can break through the vaccine and that's the bother so like just a question to throw out to, to listeners and see what you think you go to something you're you're vaccinated you've done your thing you've done your bit you've taken your jab you've you've dealt with the sore arm and the the hangover because it feels like one that you get afterwards and now you're vaccinated and you're using your pass to get into an event 
how do you feel about, for example, you're not entitled to know that the person sitting next to you isn't a crackpot anti-vaxxer. You're, you're not, like. Um, or isn't someone who refuses to get vaccinated because they are looking at YouTube all day. Uh, you're not allowed to know that. That's one of the daftest elements of, of the whole system, if you, if you ask me. Um, Jim says, I'm sure it doesn't hurt that Michal Martin's a huge GAA fan. 40,000 in Croke Park, 500 in Turner's Cross. I doubt he goes to Electric Picnic either. Uh, the pubs in Dublin on Sunday we saw online would make any responsible person or politician think twice about having big GAA events. Well, some pubs completely jammed around Dublin on Sunday and I doubt they were checking for vaccination. They might have been. So I'm not going to name them, but there were some pubs, some very well-known pubs, jammed. Uh, were they asking for vaccination proof? I, I doubt that they were. Could be. But anyway. Right. So, I'm so sick of hearing... Have a listen to this now, see what you think. This is coming on the phone. The person was, was kind of cross. All right. I am so sick of hearing how hard a time young people have had on the radio. Particularly on 96FM and on RTE. It's pathetic. The presenters chasing after the youth vote. We've all had a hard time during this pandemic. I'm not going to judge anyone's position and say the youth have it easy. But certainly the rest have to knuckle under and get on with it in ways we never even thought possible a year ago. The elderly are having an incredible struggle. Imagine being in the last years of your life and not being able to go to a lifelong friend's funeral. I'm giving up listening to talk radio over this. It's feeble. Well, well, caller, I hope you wouldn't do that because we've tried to be fair to every generation here. Uh, everyone's had it hard. We've said that everybody's had it rough. Everybody has suffered in their own particular way. Would be definitely the way we've looked at it on the opinion line since day one. Yes, the elderly have had an exceptionally difficult time in many ways. The young have had a difficult, exceptionally difficult time in many ways. The people who try to run small businesses and keep a family going and put clothes on their back and food on the table, they've had an exceptionally tough time. For even for those of us who, who kept our jobs and kept our salaries and are so grateful to have done that and been able to do that. Like, I'm speaking of myself and my crew here. It's been tough for us too at times. Very tough. So, I reject your your claim that it's all about the young people. But they too have had a very hard time. I want to go to a story that comes in to kind of tie in with that. I'm talking to fundraising and advocacy manager of Pieta, a man called Tom McAvoy, because Pieta have announced... Uh, that the number of eighteen under 18s seeking their support is up by 42% and has more than doubled on this time last year. That's under 18s looking for support from Pieta House. And overall, demand for their service is up by a fifth, which certainly tells a story of the pandemic. Tom, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having us on. Happy to do so anytime. I think the figures tell their own story. I mean, people saying we have, you know, the young have had a hard time. Everybody's had a hard time. But I think the figures you're publishing say the young have had an exceptionally hard time. Yes, they have. And, um, you know, everybody is struggling. Uh, young people are no different. Um, and we're glad to say that young people are reaching out to Pieta. Uh, in significant numbers uh, than even this time last year and that was an increase in the previous year. So 
Uh, Pieta are, you know, uh, set up to uh, to take more, uh, more and more people all the time. We're hiring con- constantly therapists, especially in the Cork region. Uh, so last year alone, um, we saw 242 uh, of our clients were 18 and under uh, coming to the doors of Shanachiel in uh, in Cork, mm-hmm. in our Pieta centre. And, uh, you know, that, that, that those circumstances are always changing um, you know people's resilience young people's resilience especially are challenged uh, around now uh, you know social both uh, family you know uh, raised anxiety all that sort of stuff and uh, look you can't blame young people uh, in those situations but isn't it great that people are observing uh, maybe changing behavior of somebody at home or maybe in a workplace yeah. or in a school to say look Maybe you need a little bit of help here. You know, yeah. we know somebody or somewhere that we can uh, we can recommend and persuasion. Yeah. Persuading somebody to get that help is huge. And, and I'll talk about that in, in just a sec. But just to ask you, Tom, what kind of things are they presenting to you with? Look, it, it's it's uh, suicide ideation, self harm, and uh, and perhaps. You know, uh, having uh, maybe had a bereavement recently uh, to suicide, uh, uh, p- people are presenting in those three situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and are they relating it to the pandemic? Well, it, it certainly is, uh, is, is bringing an added stress in their lives. Uh, something that they wouldn't have been uh, isn't inbuilt in us as a resilience mm. to uh, to cope with. You know, uh, people's coping skills are all different in each in each other, uh, depending on our life and our social uh, background. And uh, you know, we build ourselves up sometimes. This has really caught us on the side. You know, we're we're sideswipe. In other words, that we're, we're, we weren't expecting. And um, you know, every week changes. You hear the news. You, you sort of uh, pick up on uh, on on the stuff that's going on in our society, uh, you know. And, and uh, unfortunately, some people are able to cope with it. Uh, well, fortunately, some people are able to cope, and then others are challenged. And look, you know, it's 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 natural for us to feel like that. Um, we we all can feel down at times. Mm-hmm. We can be depressed. We mm-hmm. can be an- over anxious. And um, flat you know, is a word I've heard used a lot. Yeah, that you just yeah. feel flat. I know, I know, and you sort of wind it sometimes as well. You know, you can have stomach knots. You can have. You can be fatigued. You know, headaches are are commonplace at the moment, and that's down to maybe you know sleeplessness. Uh, you know, you're irritable, anxious, and and all of those situations uh, lead one to to feeling really down and hopeless sometimes. Mm. And you know, we're we're sending a message of hope uh, today, uh, PJ, because. Uh, th- there is hope there if somebody reaches out or somebody notices, notices a change yeah. in somebody's behaviour and knows where to send them. And that 1800-247-247 yeah. number is a lifeline. Uh, often people reach out to us uh, that maybe don't understand how, how somebody is or you know needs a little bit of help to to persuade somebody to get help. And even that is there for family and friends to uh, to phone. And in particular, it's a self-referral uh, uh, position that we're in, in Pieta. 
So somebody can even phone on their own behalf to say, I'm not feeling great and I need I need a bit of help. And that phone line is available 24-7, 365 days of the year. And, and what will happen when you call that number? Who will answer? A therapist. A therapist will answer the phone and will 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 deal with the issue there and then. We'll try and help you, you know, on a journey perhaps of therapy. Uh, we'll, we'll reassure you that you're not on your own. Um, you know, that it's not unusual for somebody to feel like that. Uh, and, you know, the fact that they've actually lifted the phone is massive. Yeah. And uh, we respect that. We we treat everyone with respect and dignity coming to Piazza. We don't judge anybody. Uh, and I was just going to mention that our free helpline text H-E-L-P yeah. to 51444 is, is hugely used by 18 and unders. And what will um, happen when you send a text or a WhatsApp to that? Again, example? a therapist will reply to say, you know, um, you know, how, how are you? It's great to, to, that you've actually made it uh, to, mm. to connect with us. And, uh, and, and then, you know, depending on the circumstances the person's in, we'll try to move them to telephone if that's right. possible. Although it's not essential, we continue to text over and back for a while, and uh, and and maybe. You In other know, words, you're communicating the on their terms. Some young people don't particularly want to take a call straight yeah. away. They, they'll but they'll see, do the text thing. You know, we we all find it hard to speak sometimes, especially in a circumstance that you maybe are you know considering suicide as an option. Okay, and that's the reality of it. And you know, we're we're sometimes find it hard to breathe. And the first thing we do when somebody calls us is we go into a breathing process and we ask them to take a breath every five, every 10 seconds, every 15 seconds to try and calm things down. So the therapy is starting the minute you take the call? Absolutely, okay. straight away. Right. And it's with a professionally trained therapist. And especially for young people, just to let you know, we have specially adolescent trained therapists who are able to, you know, understand perhaps a lot more of how a young person is, well, what a young person is going through. Um, Tom, I hate to do this. I would like to come back to this and come back to what happens on the helpline because I think I'm fascinated by it. What happens on the helpline, what happens with the text line. I might, I'd like to talk about that on another day if we could yeah, and go absolutely. more into it. I think we might encourage people to pick up the phone a little bit more. Yeah, I, I need indeed. to move on to something else now, but good, good luck with everything that you, that you continue you. to do at, at Pieta. And remember, the numbers are going way up, but I think it's so important to remember that. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Thank you, Tom. That's Tom McAvoy from Pieta House. Pick up the phone and call 1-800-247-247 and you will be speaking there and then, there and then, to a qualified therapist. Our text help to our WhatsApp, I assume, text help to 51444 and a therapist will come back to you. We'll do that more, Fiona. Maybe we'll come back to them in a couple of weeks and talk a bit more about how the helpline actually works. 1850-715-996. Now, with much talk about booster vaccines, piece of research published this morning in the UK, or published last night and being reported in the news this morning, is that the double vaccination of Pfizer and Moderna, which are the two we're getting most of here, getting all of here now, in fact, the double vaccination of Pfizer and Moderna, the full effects of that in, in many people begins to wane after six months. Now, for those of us who are fit and healthy, that's not a huge problem. But for anybody with an underlying condition or the elderly, it is. 
So we're already talking about booster vaccinations and Tyg Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland. Uh, Tyg, uh, you've come out of a meeting to talk to us and I do appreciate that. You want this to start happening, like, quickly. Good morning. Yeah. Absolutely, PJ. Good morning. Yes, I mean, as you've outlined there, we are, I suppose, somewhat concerned. But not. I, I think we need to be clear as well. We don't be alarmist about it. Uh, but the, the research you referred to overnight uh, is, is um, confirms, I suppose, what we've been saying for the last number of weeks. We also saw um, some research from the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention in, in America uh, confirming the same. So um, there shouldn't be any delay, really. Now, we understand that uh, NIAC, the National Immunisation Advisory, committee are meeting this week um, but we, what we are saying to government and we have been saying for a number of weeks is that the planning and the, the infrastructure for that rollout should commence immediately with an immediate start. Because based on the, the finding being reported in the UK this morning now and just to reiterate what it is, it is that the double dose of Pfizer and or Moderna, but let's focus on Pfizer it's the one that's out there most, the yes. double dose of Pfizer, the full effect of that begins to wane after approximately six months. So some of the people, some of the clients in your nursing homes who were done in January and February, Correct. they need a booster now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly the point that you've made and well made is that you'll, you'll recall that the nursing home residents and staff were uh, category one in terms of the prioritization of the initial rollout. Uh, it commenced in, in late December, actually, in some homes, but early January was the was the uh, was the mass rollout, if you like. So, in some cases, it's up to seven months now since some residents and staff have been have been vaccinated. So, I suppose we all uh, understand at this stage, you know, without prejudging the NIAC decision, is that a booster vaccine is going to happen. Um, so, you know, again, back to my point is that expediting is is a priority. I mean, we met with minister on the end of July, and uh, we've also had engagement with NIAC, and I suppose they were suggesting at the time that it would be. Uh, run in tandem with the, the flu campaign in late September, early October. And I think that, for me, is, is probably too late. Um, you know, we're now, as you say, almost mm. seven, uh, almost eight months in in some cases. So, now, I guess uh, if, the, if the atmosphere within the home, and by that I mean within yeah. a nursing home, if everything is being conducted as safely as possible, uh, and all the staff are properly vaccinated and sanitation is continuing and everyone, everything is... is, is you could probably wait until flu, flu jab time, or could you? Well, I, I think, you know, unfortunately, we've seen a significant rise in, in cases in the community over the last number of weeks. Yeah. We understand that there's going to be a peak in the next number of weeks. Um, so, you know, we've seen as well uh, reports from HICWA in relation to the, uh, the waves in Ireland is that there is an absolute direct correlation um, between cases in the community and cases in healthcare settings, uh-huh, whether it's hospital uh-huh. or nursing home. So if there's going to be a, a spike, which we expect in the next number of weeks, you know, uh, from, from me and from our members' point of view, there's a level of anxiety now that uh, we, should, we should crack on, as it were, because we have the supply of vaccine. In the initial phase in January, one of the challenges was, was the supply and making sure we had continuity of supply. We have the supply, we have the infrastructure, and to be fair, you know, Ireland is an exemplar in terms mm-hmm. of the rollout of the vaccination. So, uh, you know, within 30,000 older people in, in nursing homes and probably 50,000 staff, you know, that could be done in, in a matter of weeks now at this stage. And I think it would be another uh, element and another layer of protection, mm-hmm. if you like, as we head into, you know, in some cases, what could be an uncertain mm-hmm. winter. Are you uncomfortable, Tyg, with the fact that it is not mandatory for all staff in nursing homes to be vaccinated? Yeah, I mean, personally, I must say I am. Um, and we did raise that question back in March of this year with, with, with government and with the department. Um, we've seen in other jurisdictions in the UK from 11th of, of November. Uh, it's going to be mandatory uh, in France. 
Uh, it's also going to be mandatory for healthcare workers. So Greece yeah, as well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So on a personal level, I, I must say I am. I understand, you know, that some people may not be able to take the vaccine, and we have to understand that. Yeah. What we've been doing as an organisation, and when the HSE, obviously, is through information, education, and encouragement. And thankfully, we have a very high uptake. So uh, I suppose if there was a lower uptake, it might have precipitated mandatory vaccination. So on the one hand, it's good news that we have such a high uptake. But on the other hand, I suppose we need to be mm. uh, clear now at this stage that, um, you know, having someone working in a healthcare setting that's unvaccinated, you know, is not a good position to be in for anybody. And are you in the same ridiculous position as school principals? And that's my word, not necessarily theirs. I call it ridiculous. You're not allowed to know. Your, your, your members are not allowed to know which of their staff are vaccinated and which are not. Yeah, there's a slight difference in the healthcare settings, thankfully. The Data Protection Commissioner a number of weeks ago made a ruling that we are. So if you are working in health, because of the, I suppose, the inherent risk factor, uh, then, then you are um, you are entitled to, to ask the question. Um, so that that is positive. So what's happening at the moment is that right across health and social care is that people, you know, have to do a risk assessment. Uh, some people might have to be, you know, put on short term, for example, or or, or, or you know, um, situation where they might have to be moved within within a, a, an individual care setting. So the good news is that yeah, we are uh, uh, permitted to to ask the question. Uh, but by the same token, it, it is not mandatory. And I suppose that's something we need to keep on the table, in my mind. Um, and uh, you know, if 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 it becomes a problem down the down the line or a challenge down the line, then you know, I, I would consider it a prudent move myself personally. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for your time today, Ty Daly, Corkman, and CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland. It's six to seven months since the first people in nursing homes were vaccinated. That new research from the UK, and already we're getting tweets saying we're trying to scaremonger. We're not. It is new research from the UK that states that the Pfizer vaccine in some people begins to wane in effectiveness after six months. For most of us, it won't matter. For most of us, it'll be fine. But for the vulnerable, like the elderly, it means they've got to get a booster and get it quick, and that's what Ty Daly is saying. 1850-715-996. On Piesa, they were an absolute lifeline for me two years ago. I couldn't thank them enough, says that message. Hi, PJ. I'm just wondering if you know what happens if someone can't get the vaccine for medical reasons. Are they not allowed in places then? Would love to know. Thanks, Sharon. Sharon, I don't know whether that affects you. I'm sorry if it does. There are a cohort of people. I don't know the percentage uh, there probably is a percentage. There are a cohort, a small cohort of people who physically cannot be vaccinated. That's just the way they're made up. Uh, that's where herd immunity or community immunity comes into play. That's how herd immunity protects them. If you take it like in, in terms of a classroom of 30 kids vaccinated against, for argument's sake, the measles, you have one kid who can't be vaccinated for a medical reason. The other kids protect them. I don't know how it would work in, in terms of being admitted to places, Sharon. I imagine it's something that would need to be addressed by the authorities once we get to a point of herd immunity. But if we got to a point of herd immunity, then we could start easing those restrictions too. It's a very small cohort of people, but they do also have to be taken into account. On Aaron uh, from uh, to Eamon Rich. My god, my goddaughter works for Aaron as an SNA, says he's a dote, happy principal, happy staff, happy children. And fair play to him for recognising the work of SNAs. Well, one thing we've done on this programme 
from day one and will continue to do till the last day they drag us out of here kicking and screaming and sack us is SNAs change lives. That's our stand standpoint. SNAs change lives. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Let's find out how Niall Horan got on last night hosting one of the biggest chat shows in the States and I've got all your favourite tunes to race you through Wednesday afternoon. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Kit says nice interview with Tom and Pieta House. He comes across as so gentle and so understanding of the people in need of the service. That's from Kit. And we will do that at some point. In the next few weeks, uh, we'll come back to Pieta and we'll, we'll, we'll do a, a, a thing with them about how the helpline actually works and how the text line actually works. Because I think a lot of people didn't know that. When you pick up the number and ring 1-800-247-247, you actually are connected with a therapist there and then. And as Tom said, the breathing exercise, they'll even do a breathing exercise with you on the phone to try to, I suppose, bring you down. And calm you and have you breathe. So we'll, we'll, we'll deal more with that. We'll stay in touch with them and deal a little bit more with that in the weeks and months to come because the service that they provide is just remarkable. 1850 TikTok is like the biggest thing in the world. TikTok is dwarfing everything else at the moment in terms of social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they're all piddling in the wind compared to TikTok. It's a monster, an absolute monster of a thing. People are doing everything on TikTok. One of the things they're doing now is they're doing their CV on TikTok. It's called TikTok resumes. Now, making TikTok videos is a skill. And people are now putting their resume, their CV, into a TikTok video. And I'm assuming what they do then is that when they're applying for a job... They send a link to the TikTok video to their prospective employer. And I'm wondering, as an employer, would you be comfortable with that? I'm wondering, would you, as a person looking for a job, do that? It's very, very interesting. Putting your resume into a TikTok video. Uh, Neve Brady is a productivity coach. Neve, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. It's taking over the world. But the idea that if you're applying for a job, you send your covering letter uh, or your covering email and here's my here's my resume and there's a link to TikTok. Is it something that could catch on here, do you think? I definitely think it could catch on, PJ. As you said, TikTok is everywhere and video as a platform for communication has just completely taken off. Um, I think it's going to be really good for people in creative roles. So if you think people in sales, marketing, design, you know, people who create social media content as part of their job, I mm. think they're going to be pretty much all over this. Mm. And it's going to replace that two to three line summary at the top of a CV. Um, instead, it's going to be see my video. 
Um, so it's, it's definitely, I think, going to be a way in the future. Maybe not for everyone, but definitely for some careers, you know. Yeah, well, we've all talked over the years with people like yourself about the, the, the we, brevity being the thing, brevity and accuracy being the thing in a good resume, that the days of a 15-page CV are long gone. If you haven't told me your story by page two, you, you, you're losing me. TikTok is a great way to coach brevity. Absolutely, and it's also an excellent way for people who might not be excellent writers but are very talented to show their talent through a video. Um, so they might be able to get their energy across better. They might be able to really show their personality. And you know yourself, PJ, often when jobs are advertised, they might say you need X amount of experience or such a degree or particular qualification. And if people don't have it, they're afraid to to submit. Hmm. But if you can create a video demonstrating, especially as a creative demonstrating, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I'm already showing you I can do this. Mm-hmm. This actually kind of I suppose, breaks down some of those barriers to entry, especially for people who would be looking for roles that require the skills that are used in creating TikTok videos, you know? So it could be very exciting. What might worry some people is would it be an unfair advantage to the beautiful ones? Oh God, that's an awful question. I don't I know think it is, so. but yeah, when you're dealing <laughs> well, with video, you're dealing you're dealing with lookers. You know so, what? I, yeah. I tell you honestly, right? I use um, I don't use TikTok, um, but I do use Instagram Reels. And you know yourself, PJ. I've got two small kids, two under two, so I look horrific most mornings, right? <laughs> so instead of using my face, a lot of the time I use an avatar. Um, I use a doodly version of myself, so you don't see my face at all. And that's the beauty with video, right? If you're not comfortable for whatever reason. Either you don't feel that you're beautiful or you just, you know, like myself, you look correct. There are other ways. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of this type of uh, little challenge at the start of a job application is you get to be creative and say, oh, how can I do this maybe without showing my face? Or how can I do this in a very different way? And again, I'm going back to people who would be in uh, creative roles like marketing, design, you know, video creation, production, all those people, like they'll eat it up, especially if you're a junior and you're looking to really showcase what you've got because the talent coming up through schools and colleges is phenomenal. Mm. And so it's a great way for them to be able to really show off what they can do, you know? Yeah. I suppose it'll become an option eventually, supply resume, video or, or hard copy, I, I don't think it'll ever replace the resume um, fully. I, I think it'll probably replace that kind of two to three line summary at the top, you know, like see my my 60 second cover letter. Um, and I, I'd say it's probably going to always stay at this very beginning of the process, right? So like you're still going to have to go through your due diligence um, throughout the whole hiring process. I think it's probably just going to be as I said, for a particular roles, something that, that will be an additional thing. You know, PJ, in some jobs, you get like a task towards the end of the interview to mm. demonstrate your skill. I think this is going to be a task to demonstrate your skill up front to give people that opportunity to get in the door, whereas perhaps they might have felt they could get in. Mm. It, it'll lead to a whole line of work for people like yourself as well in coaching. You're coaching people to, to do their video resume. Absolutely, and there's still a lot of people who are who aren't confident to do it um, for a number of reasons. But it's you know everybody has the ability. It's just how you choose to do it is up to you, right? Mm-hmm. So, like myself, you might choose some days to put fake me of <laughs> on Instagram instead of showing your your, your your true self, and that's okay too, you know. Yeah, 
What's a power stand? Have you heard of a power stand? Apparently that's a thing with TikTok, a power stand. Yeah, power poses. Um, probably what you're referring to, Amy Cuddy, um, she did a, um, a TED Talk um, that made them very um, popular. So power poses are strong positions that you can stand in that bring you up in terms of your confidence and really lift your energy. I actually do a series of them at the end of every workshop I do. Um, people have to sing along to We Are the Champion and do these poses. It's like being at the Christmas panto. Oh, yeah, it's inspired by the pantos. I get one side to do it first and then the other side. To make I swear to God. This is the bit where they're breaking down the set at the back for the finale and Buttons yeah, comes out and goes, one yeah. side, one side. You do. I do it. I know, I do it in my workshops, but listen, they love it, right? Everyone yeah. loves it. But the power pose, for anyone who's listening, if you're sitting down at the moment, even if you just stand up and, like, plant your feet firmly on the ground... Um, about well, I do it. Hold on a second now. Yeah, I'm sitting down for this. I stand up, right? Feet, up. feet planted on the ground, okay. Yeah, about hip width apart. Hips are put it right, okay. Okay, get your two hands, if you can, on your hips. On my hips, right, okay. Yeah, and then imagine that there's a string on top of your head and it's lifting you up towards the ceiling, so you're okay. standing really proud. You do your best peacock now, so up out that chest. Okay. And give me a big smile. I'm grand altogether. And you're flying. I'm absolutely I flying it. I feel like a fella that could slide down the side of Mount Everest on my backside. It's great. There you go. There you go, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> great talking to you. Thanks very much. Not about it. Cheers, that's Neve Brady, productivity coach. I hope no one was filming that. 18 on Tuesday, November 2nd. Tickets are now on sale from CorkOperhouse.ie. Access all areas. Frontman with Walking on Cars, Pa Sheehy, has just released his second solo single, Roisin, alongside announcing the release of his debut EP, The Art of Disappearing. There's a Cork date in store at Cypress Avenue, taking place on Tuesday, September 28th. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on side. On Cork's 96FM. One thing we did uh, without fear of favour on this programme uh, over the last 18 months of the pandemic was we supported the Debenhams workers. We took a side you're not supposed to. We didn't care. We took a side and we supported the, the Debenhams workers in, in their bid for a better deal. And at the end of all of that, they eventually stood down their protest. And what was on the table for them after months and months of negotiation and disappointment was a €3 million Euro package for retraining or upskilling or courses and, and all of that. It wasn't exactly what they wanted and in fact it was little or nothing to do with what they wanted but they took it because at the end of the day having exhausted every last avenue they recognised this is all that was there. Madeline Wheeling good morning. Good morning Peter. Madeline was one of the workers and indeed a mandate official as well. Uh, the three million 
was agreed in the end, not really what anybody wanted, but the realisation was there's nothing else to be had. It was better than nothing. Yeah, it was better than nothing. Have better. you got it? Nothing. 13 weeks later, and we're still in the same boat. Absolutely nothing. One, one person is blaming the other. Um, seemingly now it's a GDPR issue, um, um, solicitor saying. Just so have, what was supposed to happen, Madeline, when you left the talks and and a, an agreement was made, what was supposed to happen? There was to be a committee set up with the stores, with the ex-Devon workers and mandate, which was done within two weeks. And we were all, there's five people on it from the ex-Devon workers, three from Dublin, myself from Cork and Michelle from Waterford. That was all set up, mandate putting their person in there and we were just waiting on Southwest to set up their side of it. So that's being the, the state agency that takes care of this. Yeah, yeah it's been that way, too, and that's the way it is today. There's still no news, nothing set up. Um, it's very disappointing, really, PJ, because people have been texting me to know if they sign up for this course, if they pay for the course, will they get the money back? And I have to say, no, it's not, because we've been told, unless the fund is in place, they, there's no guarantee they're going to get the money for the course. And was the fund the to be paid individually to workers, or was it to come through, say, to the union as a fund, or what? We hadn't even been told that yet, what way it's going to go, Peter. That's as much as information as we have at the moment. We're hitting brick walls constantly for the past 13 weeks. Right. Now, we gave them a bit of a leeway because we knew it was going to take time, and these things do take time, and we're well aware of that. But about a month ago, myself and Valerie, we kind of got the feeling something was up because there was nothing coming forward, and we kind of put it out there. We sent out um, emails to the... Solace and to the T-Shop's office to know could they do anything for us, could they get any leeway on it and we have heard nothing back from anybody there's nobody answering the questions for us the only mm. person that answered us yesterday was Val sent um, a text again to Jerry Light, a mandate and he said he, so dis- he was back from annual leave and he said he was so disappointed that they still had me with the subcommittee and that he had, no one had approached him about anything to do with GP or for the staff. Right. So who's raising, as, as uh, to the best of your knowledge, uh, that Mad? Who who is raising the GDPR issue? As best of my knowledge, it's Solace. Right. They're saying that they have no, which they wouldn't have, I suppose. Really, Peter, they have no list of the staff of mandate or hip to. But I mean, they're, we're on their list still. They send out emails and text messages constantly. Surely that they can go from go to mandate and ask them to get permission from all the staff that they can release their, their details. Yeah. Sure, oh, it's not going to yeah. take 30 Mandate could that. generate, for example, mandate could generate a form and you guys would send it to mandate and then mandate send it on with your approval and consent and that seems to deal with that issue, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, that's the only issue that we're being told is there. Other than that, we don't know. Right. And it was a wellness fund at the end of the day, PJ. It wasn't even a training fund. It was a wellness fund and it was supposed to help people. I mean, a lot of the people in Cork, I know, were coming up to retirement and we were hoping to get them sorted into things. Do you know, there's another year gone. A lot of people have been told that they won't get on the courses they want now because it's too late. Right, because they were applying for courses, but sure, courses are all starting now in mid to late September. Yeah. Right, right. So who, I mean, needs to, who needs to step up here? Well, Charlotte needs to say that, really, and the government needs to step in and do something. Mm. And we have sent emails to all the... Um, the minister the responsible for Solace, I'm, I'm assuming it's it's Leo Varadkar. I'm assuming it is. Days, but I mean, there is a couple of people there. I just don't want to name names. Sure. Because 
Well, at the end of the day, we, when you're talking about the people around the cabinet table, Madeline, when you have a, a, an agency like Solis, you know, it, it does fall into one person's lap at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, and it is his lap. Yeah. But like, yeah, as usual, he had nothing from that side of the government. Yeah, yeah. And the union itself is extremely bothered by this. Jerry Light, one of your most senior members, says he's seen nothing. Yeah. No, and he's very frustrated because, I mean, I suppose he wants to see it done and dusted as well. We're 496 days or something at this stage. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm still not resolved. Yeah. And, I mean, we walked away very dignified from the pickets. Yep. We could have made it difficult, you know, when we threw down our cards and walked away. We mm. walked away with our heads head high. Mm-hmm. Look, look, the way we're being treated now again, there's another person treating us badly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what to say to you, Madeline. I really don't. I mean, as I said, we've 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 taken we, we've taken a very blunt side with you here from day one. We've always said we we will support the, the workers in their in their campaign. And look, and you, think you, very much. you know, being honest, because we didn't think we would be here at the end of September, still fighting for the fund that was yeah. ninety six days global past. Yes, yes. And remember, before people start talking about legal and corporate law and all this kind of nonsense, we've done, we've had that conversation. This was a deal agreed. Yeah. It was, yeah. And it went to the Labour Relations, that's where it came from. Yeah. And there was a document there. Mm-hmm. All right. Is there a possibility, uh, and I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but is, is there a possibility that the pickets might come out again? Well, there'll be definitely protests. PJ, because we can't leave this go. Okay. We're not going to lie down and die after 409 days, which are we d- rough 409 days on the streets. No way. Okay. Okay. I'll leave it with you there uh, for, for today. Madeleine Whelan, uh, Mandate Trade Union official and former Debenhams worker. Uh, there were people who criticised me for being so behind the, the Debenhams workers. I think it was my experience with the guys at Vita Cortex that drove me there. Um, I, when I was working in the newsroom, I spent so much time with the video cortex workers, and 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 I I admit, totally admit, to being very biased towards the uh, Debenhams workers. But the law's the law. What's done is done. What's agreed is agreed. They got this agreement after many many months of argument, and pain and hurt, and feeling left down. And now they're not getting their money. Now they're not getting what they were promised because of some GDPR issue. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Tell us about this uh, legend of a daughter of yours. Yes, so she's doing political science in UCC and she applied for and was accepted to do an internship in New York starting in January. So she'll be working for the Senate, the US government. Oh, that's fantastic. That's very exciting. You don't know you're going to have half a cork in JFK Airport going, listen, I know it's Elise Sinead. She walks her bike. Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at nildc.com. Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 
1850 715 996 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan On Cork's 96FM Yeah, that story You remember that album Pretty much any rock and roll fan Worthy of the title Would have that album in their possession Or would have a track or two from that album on their Spotify. It was a magnificent album, never mind, uh, by Nirvana. Um, we're actually talking about Nirvana recently among them, but it's it's like 30, is it 40 years ago now since Nirvana appeared here in Cork as a support act. A support act. Nirvana were here in Cork. There was 123,000 people at the gig um, in Sir Henry's, if, if you're to believe what you're told. But just in the week that we have that story, a guy called Spencer Eldon. He was the baby on the front of the album cover or CD cover or the graphic is there on Spotify or wherever you get your music these days. Of a, of a baby, a naked baby, in a swimming pool, grabbing for a dollar bill. That was the front page of the album Nevermind uh, back in the day. Now in a lawsuit filed in the district court in California. Wouldn't you know it? Only in California. Kurt Cobain's widow, Courtney Love, he's suing her and he's suing the remaining members of the band and the record labels that released or distributed the album in the last uh, 30 years. He alleges, get this, he alleges that they've produced child pornography with the image, accuses them of commercial child sexual exploitation of him while he was a minor, and said the defendants knowingly produced, possessed and advertised commercial child pornography depicting depicting Spencer Eldon who was four months old when the image was made and he couldn't have given consent for it at the time. He says he had suffered lifelong damages from the album which came out in 1991. Okay. 1850-715-996 I don't know quite what to make of that It's one we'll follow with interest I think a lot of us would have that album in our possession I know as a, as a jobbing jock I would have played tracks off that album at many a gig I would have played tracks off that album on the radio I would still have tracks from that album on my Spotify a Super album This is a very interesting case which we'll have to follow 1850-715-996 It was last week Last week or the week before that we we caught up with Effie, who's going to have to learn a new karaoke tune now, Effie. Going to have to... You were a a karaoke queen in your day. You're going to have to learn another one now. Effie Murphy, good morning and congratulations. Good morning, PJ. Thanks a million. How are you? Remind us again. Our Miss Diamond Ireland title winner. I know, it's mad. <laughs> when you were with us last week, you explained that you had to go to UK, to the UK to become Miss Diamond Ireland. So tell me about that adventure. Yeah, so I was representing Cork. Um, so I was Miss Diamond Cork. It was supposed to be for a year title, but because of COVID, it was delayed. And so I had it for two years. And I competed this weekend in, well, I flew into Liverpool and drove down to Southport. And um, yeah, had an amazing time and came home with the title. So delighted. Congratulations. Thank you. 
<laughs> I think you're still somewhere up there around cloud nine trying to find your way around, are you? Oh, it's crazy. Like, my phone is hopping and I'm still just totally exhausted. So I'm looking forward to crawling into bed now for the <laughs> afternoon and just chilling. <laughs> this one, I think, means so much to you, Effie, because it comes at the end of your big journey with yes. Wade. Yeah, it's been amazing. Like, I started off um, as a contestant in a size 24 gown. And um, the reason why I entered the pageant system was simply because they celebrated the beauty and diversity of every woman, no matter what size, colour, race, religion, you know. It was just something that appealed to me. So I said, yeah, let's do it. And um, like throughout the years, then I had two years before I got to the finals and I lost the 11th stone and was able to get on the stage in a size 10 gown. It was just amazing and a sense of achievement of doing it you know it was brilliant and to bring the title home to Cork of course was the best so yeah an amazing journey So you'll be learning you'll be learning the Viva Las Vegas when do you head off or when does that happen? So it's July 2022 I'm off to Vegas so yeah Yeah, lots of prep to do now I'm already back to Manchester uh, next two weeks time Right Um, Yeah Flawless Photography Studios is doing the uh, photo shoot so we're off to that that's the first thing Mm. Very exciting. <laughs> this is practically a job now, isn't it? It is. So yeah, like when you when you're crowned, you have a year title, which is basically giving you a year's work. Um, obviously, it's all um, contracted, and you're not getting paid. It's all voluntary. Right. But it's the most rewarding job, and to be mm. able to help charities in your local community. It's, it's not. It's not. Amazing. You're not paid, but I, I take it that expenses are covered and all that. Exactly. Yeah. So the pageant system themselves will cover all of your expenses, but you're not paid for it. No. Now, so where are you likely to be over the next twelve months before Vegas? Many trips back and forth to the UK. Um, <laughs> so yeah, maybe a lot of Ryanair charges. They cost me a fortune over the weekend on their wage charges. But uh, yeah, no, I look forward to it though. Okay. Okay. And then Vegas. That's a, a long trip, is it? That's what. That, that's a huge. That's the the world title. It is, yeah. So it's the international title. So currently I have the national title now for Ireland. Mm. And when I compete then, it's representing Ireland in the international stage at Regency International Pageant in um, Las Vegas. Yeah, so so exciting. All excitement. I know, crazy. Did you you ever think when they were wheeling you down on the trolley to the operation in Turkey? (laughs) Imagine, imagine like I was... I, I couldn't even get on the trolley. I was so big, PJ. Like, I mean, they had to get like 10 people to get me onto the trolley. I was 22 stone rolling myself on this, on this bed to hopefully better my life and, and my health for my kids. And here I am now, a, a beauty queen, size 10 to 12. Like, it's 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 amazing. And even though I've gone through the journey myself, it's still like, well, I actually done it, you know? So mm. Do you pinch yourself every so often and say, is this I really happening like, to I me? Yeah, it's like now it's finally hitting home. You know, I've done all the hard work and I could finally celebrate it, I suppose, you know. But emotional, is it? It is very emotional, <laughs> yeah. I did cry. I cried over the weekend. Um, and especially when I went on the stage in a bikini, PJ, like imagine I never wore a bikini in all my life. I mean, plus size women, you know, just paranoid, I suppose, really. So the swimsuits were always on the beach, but covered up. Mm-hmm. And to be able to stand on a stage in a bikini and just have the cheer of the audience and the support was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I'm not going to make you cry because you've got a right hook and I want to avoid it. So, <laughs> <laughs> listen, I'll just, I'll just congratulate you and wish Thank you best you so of luck for the future from all of us at the Opinion Line. Thank you so much, PJ. Cheers, my friend. That's Sefi Murphy. Uh, Miss Diamond Ireland.
And we've talked to her many times on the show about her journey with, with, with weight. And uh, she's won that title in the UK now. And she'll head off to Vegas next summer to represent Ireland. Congratulations and best of luck for most. She's an inspiration. In fairness, she is a great inspiration just to keep going and keep keep uh, fighting on. Um, and we've talked many times about, about her path and her journey. And as I said to her, she'd get in anywhere. Last time she was on, she went to, she went to a, um, a hospital in Turkey for the surgery. And she went back again a couple of times for other bits and pieces afterwards. Now she's working for the flipping hospital. She'd get in anywhere with Effie Murphy. And fair play. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Focus, what you mean? Got my eyes on the prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live With Now Stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sport With the Now Sports Extra membership Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie Or download the Cork's 96fm app Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850-715-996 On Cork's 96fm Here's an interesting call um, and I suppose over the next few weeks, things like this will start to return, uh, according to the papers this morning at least. Caller says, there's no way you can access the internet in the library at the moment. There's no news when you might be able to. I really don't understand why, especially if you're vaccinated. I'd be prepared to even use gloves. The internet can be patchy at home. Sometimes it's handy to look something up on the internet to get information about a book or to enlarge on something you've found in a book. There's also people who, for whatever reason, have no internet at home, be it a financial reason or lack of interest even for the elderly. It's fascinating, you can have 40,000 in Croke Park, many without masks and some hugging each other, without any vaccine requirement, but a masked, vaccinated and even gloved person can't use a PC for a few minutes. Do they know what they're doing at all? Interesting message. I mentioned to you earlier on we'd be catching up with Greece because there are a lot of similarities other than the flipping weather between here and Greece. There are similarities in terms of the comparison and population size and all of that. And you'll remember we started by playing the the piece of audio from Tony Hulahan, the chief medical officer, and his clear indication that if you're vaccinated you can start to get on with life if you're not vaccinated. For now, at least, you need to stay away from things. Let's remind ourselves again, this was in the context of Electric Picnic. With such high levels of vaccination uptake, that that doesn't necessarily mean that these events couldn't take place. But you as an individual who is uh, not vaccinated, this is really not a place for you to be, be, would be, would be, I think, the responsible public health advice that we would give. Our message would have to be, you as an unvaccinated person, uh, it's really important that you stay away from these, particularly at these high levels of transmission. Um, we have the kind of the, the combination of 
of, 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 of susceptibility for you as an individual and likelihood of running into somebody else with the disease is just it's the wrong combination. So you really have to exercise extreme care and caution to protect yourself. Now, comparing ourselves with Greece, they have a population of around 11 million, which is in or around double hours. A population of 11 million, 560,000 confirmed cases and 13,422 deaths in the course of the pandemic, which is again in or around double uh, as many as we've had. So in or around the same amount of deaths per million population as we have had. And they are introducing a very strict regime for people who are vaccinated and requirements for people who are not vaccinated. Uh, Frankie Shanley, uh, DJ Frankie Beats, who divides his time between Greece and Portugal, works for KISS FM Radio in Portugal, uh, based in Greece for the summer. I think Sidari, based in Sidari uh, at the moment. Uh, Frankie, good morning to you. Good morning. Hello you, from beautiful Greece. Are you still there? You are? I'm still here. I'm talking to you on the beachfront in Sidari, North Okay, Island. that's enough now, okay? Although it's a, lo- <laughs> it's a lovely day here, but the beach in Sidari, I don't really hear about that beautiful beach right now. Anyway, Frankie, the last time we talked, uh, music was getting restricted to hell and things were gone, gone, very, gone very bad all of a sudden. Uh, how are they now? Um, yeah, last night there have been new restrictions that are due to come in on starting the September the 1st. Uh, some of the restrictions are coming in about the 13th of September the the most serious of them come in and it's all aimed at the unvaccinated mm. yeah which last time we spoke was you which was me but I had good news on that front this morning thankfully mm. um, so I'll be getting vaccinated in Greece uh, in the next day or two good man good man so what are the changes what are the what are the restrictions for unvaccinated people major changes here because at the moment, if you are unvaccinated, you're not supposed to be in a bar. And technically, the bars have been supposed to be checking all this, but they, they haven't. Anybody, nobody's been te- checked uh, on entry to the bars, at the restaurants, the clubs, uh, and myself included. And it was kind of just getting on with us, and that was that. But I think Greece has now realised that uh, the unvaccinated are the problem. And from the 1st of September... Uh, the rules start where they focus on the healthcare workers and care home workers. And from the 1st of September, if you're not vaccinated, you're suspended immediately from work. And there's no exceptions, zero tolerance, no, there's no waiting period. Midnight, 1st of September, you're gone. Simple as that. Oh. Um, then things get a bit more serious for the rest of us from the 13th of September, where if you're unvaccinated, you will now be totally banned from restaurants, bars, nightclubs. Uh, if you're found in a venue that haven't checked to see if you're vaccinated, that venue will be closed immediately, with, w- along with all their jobs and huge fines, and mm-hmm. you've got the threat of uh, a jail sentence hanging over you. Can, can you take a test? You could, but they're getting around that now as well, because you could get a rapid test, which cost €5 Euro, um, last week, and they were free for workers, but from September the 1st, the price has gone up to 10 euro, and now the rapid test that you get, take yourself at home, won't be, it won't get you into a bar or restaurant. Mm-hmm. It has to be done officially, official paper, um, uploaded to the government website, everything is by the book now, and the red tape has really kicked in. Mm-hmm. And even travelling by bus, train, boat, which everybody travels by boat and plane in Greece to get, to, get around, 
uh, again, you have to be fully vaccinated to get on those. Mm. Even to get onto the bus, you have to be vaccinated now yeah. from the 13th of September. The health minister is a man called, I'll, help me with this, Vasilis Kikilius. That's it, correct. Okay. Uh, what is he saying about this? I'm, I'm reading from, from um, a newspaper article here where he says, we must do this as a responsible state. It is our obligation towards all those who lost the battle before vaccine came available. It is our obligation towards the millions of citizens who spent 18 months of the pandemic being careful for themselves, who stayed up nights for weeks caring for patients, who shut their shops and lost their jobs, who worked and studied remotely. So this is effectively for those who made the effort. Yes, I, and it is It is exactly for that reason, because you have to remember Greece has been very good throughout the pandemic uh, in that they've tried to open the borders, they've tried to let people in, they've tried to give them a good time. Last year, while the world was in the depths of lockdown, I was here working seven nights a week, yeah. um, which was just bizarre. Uh, so they, the, the the workers and the the business people here last winter they they were on their knees mm. from from just from opening and having no customers and taking ten euro a day in and paying a hundred euro tax that day it was they were just on their knees. Mm. So this winter everybody's worried and that's why all these restrictions are coming in. Is there much of an anti-vax sentiment in Greece or have people been been taking the vaccine and they can get it? Uh, it's it's kind of like Ireland. You, you, it's kind of a mixture. You get the anti-vaxxers that do the shouting and the screaming, and I've not been in that category. I've been dying to get a vaccination since mm. day one. Um, but yes, you will have you'll, you'll have the mixture here as you would in Ireland of anti. Uh, people are like, totally I know that p- politically Greece is, a, is, is, a, is an interesting place with many different political views. What, how is this going down politically, what, what the minister has done? Um, it, it's only kind of filtering down to everybody uh, today because this was only announced last night, late last night. Mm. Um, so again, business owners are worried. Um, and, and I went into the chemist just to test this, this theory that anybody can be vaccinated now in Greece. And uh, yes, uh, I've got my appointment for two days' time. Brilliant. So, uh, yes, but, but the, the free tests are now gone. So now it's going to be €10 Euro to get tested. Uh, there will be workers in bars that aren't vaccinated. And now they've got to pay out of their own pocket mm. uh, €20, €30 Euro a week for to get these tests done. And again, the threat of jail if you don't do it. Jail. Yes, very serious and fines. There will be people, and there always are a small cohort of people, it's just medical science, that can't be vaccinated. Now, presumably, there'll have to be a way to to deal with them. Yeah, there will. You'll have have your search. But another uh, announcement that was made last night as well is that from the 13th of September... Uh, masks are now mandatory indoors and outdoors in public places, like on the beaches, and that's going to be very uncomfortable. Yeah, thirty-nine degrees heat, lying on the beach with a mask on you, and, and that we're told it will be strictly enforced. And indeed, this morning I've seen a lot of police activity, which we haven't seen in a long time. So already they're 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 being they're they're letting people know that they're there, God. and to take it seriously. Crikey! And how long is that going to be for? Uh, until March, they say. March 2022. So, the beautiful beach on Sidari, 39 degrees, 
I mean, I presume when you go in for a swim, you can take the damn thing off, like. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> that but, would be but, awkward. But, but to tend the hide on, on, oh my God. But you know what? If it, what needs to be done is what needs to be done. That seems to be the attitude, isn't it? And that's the attitude here with the Greek people. It, it is what it is. And uh, they've been very good. They've suffered. They've been welcoming to the world. They've, they've sacrificed a lot for to open the borders. They'll sacrifice the, their lives this winter because they won't have that much money and mm. they won't have that much money from the state. So, you know, they deserve... This is for them as well. And mm. they deserve it. Are you, are you able to gig? What's the story? Yeah, gigging every night. Very bizarre because, as, as you know, being a DJ, your job is to get people to dance and enjoy themselves. And in Greece, I find myself on the microphone uh, every five, six minutes telling people to sit down, not to dance. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange one, isn't it? And then you're public enemy number one. And then you see the trip advisor reviews, DJ's Rouge told us to sit down. But it's the law. If, if you stand up, yeah. the place can be closed down. Are there many Irish over there at the moment? A lot of Irish in the last week. Mm. A lot of Irish in the last week. How are they going to uh, feel about wearing a mask on the beach? I don't know. But I suppose, look, they're only here for a, a week. And uh, mm. everybody's had a tough time. And Greece is Greece. Yeah, whether oh, you're wearing yeah. a mask or not, Greece is Greece. It is, it is, it is indeed. And come here, are you still doing your radio show in Portugal through the no, miracle of no. technology? No, 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 I'm not. Uh, I'm relaxing now for the summer. I do my own show on One Music, which I do from here every Saturday. Mm. Uh, again, technology been doing its thing. It's just amazing. Mm. And uh, I gig seven nights a week. And uh, yeah, that's, you're that's, living the life of Riley Adiva. Go on away with that. <laughs> Oh, you know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> Frankie, always park. good to speak with you. Enjoy the beautiful sunshine uh, in Sideri in Greece. That's uh, Frankie Shanley, DJ Frankie Beats. But just the next time someone says to you, oh, they're very strict. <laughs> That's strict, lads. That's strict. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Let's find out how Niall Horan got on last night hosting one of the biggest chat shows in the States and I've got all your favourite tunes to race you through Wednesday afternoon. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. There's a lot of talk at the moment and a lot of people looking at you know DNA matching and checking your family tree on DNA it's been popular for years but it's had a real resurgence of late uh, and one story that hit the headlines over the last couple of weeks was the story of a woman uh, called Carol Simpson Carol is 55 from Kansas City Texas an army veteran US army veteran but she met her Irish family for the very first time uh, only about uh, three or four weeks ago now, having grown up thinking she was German, of, of German origin. Strange story, interesting story. Also discovered she's got a, quite a strong Cork connection. So, obviously, we had to speak with her and hear the story of her Cork connection. You grew up thinking... You were German, is that right? That's correct, yes. So I was always told that uh, my great-grandfather came to the States from Germany. 
Now, I think what happened was that uh, through the generations, we just assumed that because somebody came from Germany, that they were of German descent. And so during the, the pandemic, my daughter Morgan and I were having a discussion about our family heritage and German background. And that's when I recalled that she had already done a DNA test um, and had an account. And so out of curiosity, I asked to, to see what that looked like. Later, we uploaded our data to MyHeritage. Um, the first one that my, my daughter had, though, it gave me enough information to know that we had no German um, background whatsoever. And it was curious that I noticed there were a lot of Irish surnames. And um, I was like, who are all these uh, O'Malley's and O'Sullivan's and O'Reilly's? <laughs> explain, explain for listeners, Carol, how my heritage works. You take a sample and you send it to them. Isn't that right? Yes, there are actually two different methods. Uh, they have kits where you um, you basically provide some of your saliva in a, in a test tube and there's a self-addressed uh, envelope and you send it back. And then the other method is that uh, if you already have an account and a DNA test with another site, rather than purchasing an additional kit through MyHeritage, they'll allow you to download that DNA data and upload to their site for free, which is an amazing uh, bargain. So that is what happened in in our cases. I had uploaded my data to MyHeritage and had results back in about three days when I did it that way. So not only were there no Germans on the list, but there was a lot of Irish names. What was your first reaction, Carol? Um, that possibly my father might not be my father. And I came to that conclusion quickly because there were relatives with my mother's maiden surname, but there were no relatives with my maiden surname, even, even when I searched for it. So quickly, I realized that um, I must not have the father that I thought I had. So that's, um, that's why I, I decided to do my own DNA test. And before we go on to the, the further search and, and how you found the Irish connection, how did that feel to discover, here it is on, in front of you, that the man who you grew up calling daddy is not your father? He had passed away in 2004, and uh, my my mother had never brought up um, any information to lead me to believe that I might have a, a different father. So when I first questioned her, um, she was hesitant to talk about it, and um, that leads you to believe that there's a reason for it. So I started conducting my own research to see what I could come up with at that point. Yeah. Did your mom ever tell you the full story? Yes. Yes, she, she did. And, um, um, today she's most supportive and, uh, very exciting that I, that I am getting to know this side of my family. So tell me about the Irish side of the family. Then how did you track it down? 
So when the uh, MyHeritage results came in, it indicated I was 60% Irish and and I had uh, 17% Scottish and then the rest was um, loosely um, English, broadly European, and that my ancestors were from West Cork. Well, um, along with that information, it showed that I had a 25% match with an individual by the name of John Sullivan in Ireland. That would be like John Smith in the in the States. So if I were to ask somebody in Ireland, hey, do you know John Sullivan? I'm, it, it, it would be the same as if you asked me if I knew a John Smith. So, so how do you begin to narrow that lot down? <laughs> so the, the MyHeritage app has the capability for you to email your DNA matches directly. So I sent five or six emails to John Sullivan, but I didn't hear anything back. It was um, at, at that point that I discovered that you could reach out to the MyHeritage team and they won't disclose any private or personal information to you, but they will reach out to that person and let them know that, that there is somebody trying to reach them. And in many cases, somebody may do a DNA test and be excited about a family tree or something for a while and then just kind of walk away and forget about it. So I didn't know if the account was still active or not. And uh, so they they reached out to John Sullivan, who I now refer to as Uncle Jack. And um, he was quite willing to, to make the connection. And so if it wasn't for that help from the MyHeritage team, it would have been uh, much more difficult to make that connection on my own uh, at the rate I was going. Now... You mentioned West Cork. Of course, that's of immediate interest to us. Did you did you follow the, the, the West Cork connection? So that goes back to the O'Sullivan line in, um, in Cork and West Cork and in correspondence with um, my, my Uncle Jack. I, I did learn about um, the two sets of the O'Sullivans and that we were of the bear sept from from that area and um when we started emailing back and forth he began to explain to me that the history of the bear sept and the o'sullivan clan and then um basically the um um the way of life for the irish at the time and um uh he introduced me to my family through email and talked to me about my biological father and and brought me up to speed to to where we are today. And he's with you right now. So if you pass the phone to him, yes. I'll speak with Uncle Jack. Hello. Hello, Jack. Is it Jack Sullivan or Jack O'Sullivan? Well, my it's O'Sullivan, and some of my family have the O. My father left Ireland uh, around nineteen nineteen, and. Uh, and he dropped the O because he thought that was very, uh, he'd, he'd like to blend into America. The, fi- the family in, in West Cork are called O'Sullivan. We'll talk about the West Cork connection in a while, but tell me how all this happened from the start. Why did you have an interest in, in my heritage, the website? Why were you on that in the first place? Well, I wasn't. Uh, Carol was trying to, through the... the uh, she was trying to find me. Uh, I don't know if she knew who exactly I was, but uh, but Heritage 
uh, she kind of gave up and told Heritage, and Heritage had more information. So they called me up. Uh, I, she had been trying to call, uh, send me emails and things, and I didn't pay any attention to them because I just I wasn't aware of anything that way. So uh, they, the Heritage people, uh, were called by uh, by Carol, and then they called me directly and put me into the picture. And when I did, I said, "Oh gosh, great to see her. That's, uh, we, that it was wonderful that we found someone that was lost." Yeah, that moment when the phone rings, and it's a stranger telling you that there's a relative in America that you knew not, you knew nothing about, or did you know nothing about her? Yeah, I knew nothing about it whatsoever. Nothing. Mm. It was brand new. So your your older brother Timothy, who's sadly no longer with uh-huh. us, he he was Carol's father. You knew nothing about that. Correct. I knew nothing at all about it, and I and I was with him when he died. So it, you know, it's uh, it's. But but you, but you decided here's this person thousands of miles away that's uh, daughter of my late brother, let's let's meet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, immediately I would, you know, once I understood the the um, interest in it, she's a marvelous woman. Absolutely a marvelous woman. She happened, I don't, I've been telling people, she went to the highest ranks of the United States Army. Amazing, you know, and uh, and she has her own family and this is, it just all came at the right time I think we're all adults and we all are very privileged I have 12 children myself and I have uh, a great regard for the family and never in mind to come back to Ireland and find all this together it's like a story like you see in a move <laughs> you know what I mean it's just it's you gotta pinch yourself to, to figure out and the, and the woman has been with me here for for a month and met my family one at a time so that they just, just get a chance to talk and meet, you know. And uh, it's just marvelous, just marvelous, the, the, the greatness of this accidental existence. <laughs> it's just... Come back yeah. for a moment about the West Cork connection, because as I said, we're obviously very interested in that down here. Yeah. Just uh, the farm that my father lived, born, lived, and left for America is the same farm that cousins are now running in a place called League, to be exact. We know it well. Put me back on there to Carol to have another little chat. Okay. Yes, yes. Lovely to talk with you, John. Hello. It's been an adventure meeting Uncle Jack and being introduced to all the cousins and, and finding the Cork connection. Tell me about your army career. Well, I joined uh, the military in 1983 and have had a, um, a long, illustrious career as a, as a medic and um, in aviation flight operations, military police, military intelligence, and then later on uh, went to become the command sergeant major of a engineer uh, brigade schoolhouse and then the chemical schoolhouse for the Army Reserve. Crikey, a great career. How has it been meeting all the new relatives? Has it been overwhelming or is it just something that you've taken on your stride? Like, had you any idea there was this many when you made the first call? <laughs> no, uh, not at all. That was uh, another one of those blessings in disguise. 
So it, this could not have come at a better time when we are in the middle of a pandemic and I'm uh, beginning to ramp down on my military career. I now found myself with with the time and the and the interest to to look into all of this so the timing was perfect i would say um a great period in my life to uh to appreciate this because now um things are quieter i'm much more mature so this is a i i, I don't know whose planet was that this happened whether it uh, would be my father up in heaven, either one of them or God's plan or who knows. But um, it definitely was in the cards that uh, this was just the right period. And um, even though I was shocked in the beginning by turning that around and, and embracing this journey, it has made it just uh, so worthwhile and I wouldn't change a thing. Well, one thing I will say to you, Carol, is it is great that you have found your Irish heritage and it's even better that you found your Cork heritage. Yes. <laughs> you are now part of the real capital of Ireland, as we call it. Oh, well, um, I appreciate much and the more I learn about the, the history, the more I have come to appreciate who I am and the lineage that I come from. You'll be back soon, I expect. Yes, most likely after the new year, but uh, I'll have I'll have some family in tow with me. <laughs> All right, lovely to talk thank with you, you and your uncle. Okay, thank you. There you go. That's Carol Sweeney, who is uh, now a Simpson rather, who is discovering her not just Irish but Cork connection. She's back in the states now. We recorded that a little while back. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Just to finish up today, uh, we've got a lot of marvellous street art and billboards around the city, and we've talked about them many times over the past while. Uh, one more project uh, to talk about for the month of September, which I think you'll find interesting. We'll do that next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Here's some of the winners from the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Best Breakfast. Tony's Bistro. Best Barber. Pinky Barbers. Best Coffee. Cork Coffee Roasters. Best Tradesperson. Ryan O'Keefe Painter. Best Restaurant. Scoozy Restaurant. Best Takeaway. Jackie Lennox's. The Best of Cork Awards. With localheroes.ie. Find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths, and more with a 12 month guarantee backed by Board Gosh Energy. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Exhibits of billboards for the month of Cork, uh, the month of September, rather, across Cork. It's called Steps of Hope, and it's a collection of work by people who have experienced or indeed are on their journey to recovery from mental health experience. And they're. they're, they're have special messages in them and special images of hope. And the idea is that they'll catch the eye of somebody else who's in a difficult place right now. It's an unusual idea. Uh, and from the Shine Cork Resource Centre, I'm joined by Tian Herbert. Tian, good morning to you. 
Good morning. How are you doing? It is an unusual idea, reaching people <laughs> through art. Yeah, it is an unusual idea. It was definitely born out of COVID and kind of different levels of restrictions. And we really wanted to do something for quite a while um, around creative expression and displaying it for people and reducing stigma. And through lots of backwards and forwards, we came up with this idea probably about maybe four or five months ago now. Mm. Um, and it'll be around Cork City. There is a walking route that people will be able to download. Um, and the images will be going on Instagram for people who aren't lucky enough to live in Cork. Um, but yeah, we're really, really excited about it. Is it that you're hoping someone will see these images, recognize within something within themselves and then make the next step? Because often that first step is the hardest one to make. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that was, it was a huge part of it that by pushing expressions of mental health recovery out there as it being possible, as there being hope behind it, that it isn't a life sentence for people. Um, and that it means different things to different people. The hope was that people would see it, recognize something and be able to think about where they are themselves and look for support, whatever that might mean for them. And we have included kind of resources around like little pieces around grounding, personal responsibility, self-care at mm. the different sites with the artwork. Was it a difficult topic to create appropriate work for? Um, yes and no. Funnily enough, when we actually contacted people and um, we spoke with people who used the service and asked them you know, was this something that was a runner? You know, you come up with an idea yourself and then you check with people and make sure that it makes sense outside of your head. And for people with self-experience, when they were asked, could they express it in either poetry, writing, photography or art, it actually came quite readily to people and mm. we, they, people were able to send us in stuff really, really easily, actually. Okay, so the aim of it, if you were to achieve something in the month, what might it be? If one person is who is having a bad day, who is feeling low, um, sees one of these pieces or reads one of these poems and knows that they have options, they have choices, they can look for support and there is hope in mental health recovery, then we will be absolutely thrilled with the outcome. Okay. You mentioned Instagram. Where can people follow? So it's Steps of Hope Cork and also shine.ie slash events. Um, there is information on the Shine website as well. All right, listen, good luck with it. And it's a super idea. Thank you very much, Jan Herbert from the Shine Cork Resource Centre. Uh, those billboards, I think they're up at the moment, are they? No, they'll be up for the month of September, about seven of them. Well worth well worth a look. I must have a look at them myself. And there's the walking trail and all that. You can follow it on Instagram. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Would would be wrong of us to finish today without mentioning the passing of Charlie Watts of uh, the Rolling Stones, eighty years of age, a drummer. And there's a lovely story to Charlie Watts in that it's about kind of career change. He never wanted to do rock and roll. Charlie Watts was, he never wanted to do rock and roll. He he was a jazz musician and in fact he had a jazz quintet right up to the last few years playing jazz festivals. I checked uh, unfortunately he never played the jazz festival here in Cork but uh, Jean who is our source of all wisdom on the jazz festival tells me she saw the Rolling Stones more than once and she was only 13 when she saw them for the first time so a big fan play out on a few seconds of the great uh, Charlie and the Rolling Stones my favourite Rolling Stones song programme edited by Fiona Corcoran produced and researched by Fergal Barry and we'll see you tomorrow just after 9